welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and my mission is to help you get into the best shape of your life, regardless of your age, so that you can show up in life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. I want to let you know that all month long in October, I have open enrollment for my holiday accountability program. This is a program that runs from November 1st to December 31st and is designed to help keep you on track through the holiday season to ensure you meet your nutrition and exercise goals. Whether your goals are simply not to pack on those excess holiday pounds or you're trying to lose weight or get stronger, it's free to join and all you have to do to enroll is send me an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com stating that you want in. You can check out all the details to see what's included over at silveredgefitness.com slash holiday. Today we have another edition of the Coach's Corner, so no guest today, it's just me. And we'll be back next week with our regular interview format. Here's what we're covering in today's episode. I start out by talking about the new James Bond movie and how Daniel Craig gets into such great shape for his role as 007 and then spend a couple of minutes talking about what to do when you get off track from your nutrition or exercise program. Then I share my thoughts on diet soda and whether or not swapping out regular soda for zero calorie soda can help you lose weight, and we'll wrap up with a few thoughts on the benefits of pushing yourself. Okay, if you're ready, let's start the show. Okay, I have a confession to make. I'm a bit of a James Bond nerd. I've read all of Ian Fleming's James Bond books and even a few of the continuation novels, and I've seen all of the Bond movies multiple times. And unless you've been living under a rock, you're probably aware that Daniel Craig is officially retiring from his tenure as 007 in his final film, No Time to Die. I've just seen the movie. And without giving away any spoiler alerts, let's just say I'm not a happy Bond fan at the moment. Like most people in our age demographic, we remember Saturday TV reruns of Sean Connery's role as the original James Bond. And for me personally, it was Roger Moore who I first saw portray James Bond in a movie theater. And I'll admit that I lost interest in Bond during the Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan eras, but I was 100% back on board when Daniel Craig took over the leading role in the 2006 movie Casino Royale. So Daniel Craig took over the role from Pierce Brosnan, who was more of a suave and debonair Bond. And I suppose we have the Jason Bourne franchise to thank for the new direction of Daniel Craig's James Bond era. The Bourne Identity and the Bourne Supremacy had both been released prior to Casino Royale to great commercial success and almost certainly set the precedent for the rebirth of the Bond franchise, because this new James Bond was a much grittier, darker, and more realistic Bond than his predecessor. But I'm not here to talk about cinematic history of this famous super spy, but rather to talk about how Daniel Craig got into such fantastic shape for his role as 007. 
Craig is by far the beefiest and most physically imposing of all the actors who have donned the tuxedo as 007. And I got to say, he looked just as jacked at age 52 in No Time to Die as he did 15 years ago in Casino Royale. We first got a glimpse of Craig's physique as he comes out of the ocean in Casino Royale, which is a clear throwback to the iconic scene when Honey Rider, played by Ursula Andress, as she came out of the ocean in her bikini in the 1962 movie Dr. No. And while Connery was certainly slim and fit, at least in those early Bond films, Daniel Craig is much more muscular and much more physically imposing looking. And that same jacked physique is on display in No Time to Die. How does Daniel Craig get a camera-ready body for his role as James Bond? Well, first of all, we can imagine that he's highly motivated. It's reported that he made in excess of $20 million for this film alone. And I'd imagine that's enough incentive to watch what you eat and hit the gym regularly. But he also knew that he'd have shirtless scenes and his fans expected him to look the part. But Craig's work ethic is famous, and throughout his entire tenure as James Bond, he worked with celebrity trainer Simon Watterson. Watterson is an ex-Royal Marine who's responsible for whipping Craig into shape for each of these films. So what does Watterson's prescription for getting Craig film-ready look like? Well, first things first, Daniel Craig is in real life a smoker, so obviously that has to go. Watterson started working to get Craig in James Bond shape a full 12 months before filming No Time to Die. So at that point, the cigarettes had to go. During this one-year training phase, Craig limits himself to one or two drinks two days a week. I suppose the idea would be to quit drinking altogether, but perhaps he needs the occasional martini to help him stay in character. Next up is nutrition. While Craig apparently didn't go on any type of diet, he did eliminate all junk food and reduce his carbohydrates. I couldn't find any specific information, but I have to imagine his trainer had him eating primarily whole foods with a focus on healthy proteins and closely monitored his caloric intake to keep him at a level that would support muscle building, but not add fat. Next up is training. His trainer had him work out 45 minutes a day, five days a week, as well as an active recovery day on the weekends, usually swimming or jogging. His workouts were a mix of classic power lifts and Olympic lifts mixed with explosive plyometric movements to help him train to run, kick, punch, jump, etc. with a focus on speed and agility. That would have meant lots of low reps of heavy compound movements such as deadlifts, squats, bench presses, and pull-ups mixed with some high-intensity interval training. Watterson says that he views getting an actor film-ready is very similar to getting a professional athlete prepared for game day. Basically, you have the off-season, the preseason, and then the competition season. The object is to build the athlete or actor up in the preseason so that he or she is physically prepared, and then the emphasis shifts to maintenance and recovery during the actual season, or the in this case, the filming. 
I read most of this information in an article on T3.com, and I'll drop a link to that in the show notes. You can find that at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 82. But I thought this would be interesting to talk about because there's a lot in this story of getting Craig ready to play Bond that relates to us mere mortals. The first lesson we can all learn from this is that Craig took a year to get his body screen ready. Not a month, not a couple of months, not even six months, but an entire year. In our instant gratification culture, we often expect results immediately. And this is the reason that we understandably fall victim to supplement companies and fad diets and workouts that promise overnight results. The sober truth is that achieving an ideal body composition takes time. Now, the good news here is that once you've obtained your ideal body composition, it's much easier to maintain it than it was to earn it. The second point that jumped out at me is that even though Simon Watterson is an amazing world-class trainer, he seems to stick to the basics. Whole foods and prioritizing protein on the nutrition side and basic compound lifts with appropriate amount of high-intensity plyometric training were the tools he used. Although we can't be sure, there's no mention of Craig standing one-footed on a BOSU ball while he curled a shaker weight in order to work his stabilizer muscles, but he did do a lot of very fundamental heavy compound lifts. The third thing I took away from reading this article is the importance of having a goal. For Craig, it was to look the part. He knew millions would be viewing this movie, and they were expecting to see him in top shape. I love the idea of having a goal you might consider setting a 12-month goal for yourself. It could be some type of competition or maybe treating yourself to a professional photography session, or it could just be being in the best shape of your life for that dream tropical vacation next year. And the final takeaway in this story is that persistence pays off. At age 52, he's actually 53 now, His body looks strong and capable of handling the bad guy and his evil minions that are plotting to take over the world. And while he worked out five days a week, I'd submit that you could have fantastic results from three or four days a week. Imagine what you could achieve in one year if you put your mind to it and stuck with it. The T3 website article I referenced earlier has a sample three-day-a-week program that you can try out if you want to channel your inner badass super spy, or if you need a little more direction and accountability, hit me up. I'd love to help. How to get back on track. Something I get asked fairly frequently is what to do when you get off track. Often this comes from someone who's been really good at consistently hitting their calorie goals, but then they go out of town for maybe a friend's wedding and all hell breaks loose. Somewhere between the drinking and the eating, they manage to nearly double their caloric intake for, say, two days in a row. Or another example might be a person who has been so consistent with their exercise program, but then they have that huge work project deadline, and then an old friend comes in town, and next thing you know, they've missed an entire week of workouts. So what's the best way to remedy these egregious falling off the wagon scenarios? I mean, penance must be paid for these sins, right? Actually, no. Occasionally getting off track is actually normal. It's a part of real life. If you've never gotten off track, you're a disgusting human being and the rest of us hate you. 
Oh, wait, did I just say that out loud? I meant to say that you are a shining example and the rest of us strive to be like you. But seriously, while consistency and hard work are absolutely the key to long-term healthy body composition, occasional derailments aren't the end of the world. So what should you do if you have a relapse? The answer in 99% of these cases is nothing. Just pick back up where you left off. Let's take the example of our wedding weekend binger. She came close to doubling her daily calories for two days in a row. Not ideal. But not the end of the world either. On Monday, she should just go back to her plan. It would be a big mistake to try and make it up by greatly reducing her calories over the next couple of days. The same is true of our guy who missed a week's worth of workouts. His best bet is to pick up right where he left off and certainly not try to cram additional workout days into the following week to try and make up for those missed workouts. Now, the exception to this rule might be if you've had a long layoff from working out. Perhaps you got sick and that kept you from working out for a few weeks, or maybe life got complicated and working out was not a top priority for you for a period of time. In this situation, you'd be better off backing up and easing back into things as opposed to trying to pick up right where you left off. A missed workout or two is no big deal, but a layoff for more than a couple of weeks or longer is better that you ease back into things. While muscle memory is a real thing, meaning that even after a lengthy layoff, you're not really starting all over as a complete beginner, but you'll want to reduce both your weights and your volume for a week or two until you build back up to where you left off. Does switching to diet soda help you lose weight? On the surface, it certainly seemed like it would. A 12-ounce cola contains about 140 calories, with nearly all of those calories coming from the 30-plus grams of sugar, which works out to about 7-plus teaspoons of sugar. And if you compare that to zero-calorie soda, and you have, well, zero calories. So to be sure, switching from a regular soda to a diet or zero-calorie soda would reduce total calories and result in at least a small weight loss, right? Not really. Study after study show that people who switch from regular soda to diet soda don't have any significant change in weight or body composition. In fact, there are multiple studies that show a high correlation between diet soda consumption and increased rates of obesity. Before we dive in and explore why this might be, let's look at what's in a diet soda that might make it taste like its sugar and calorie-filled counterpart. Diet sodas rely on artificial sweeteners, most commonly products like aspartame, saccharin, sucralose, and more recently things like stevia. And now these ultra-processed artificial sweeteners range from 200 to 13,000 times sweeter than regular sugar. Now, before we go any further, note that the science is still out on the long-term health effects of these artificial sweeteners. While these ingredients are obviously FDA-approved, they are a long way from being considered healthy. But the fact remains that these artificial sweeteners were developed and marketed to help people lose weight and reduce sugar consumption. So what's going on? We've switched to diet soda in droves. Approximately 40% of adults regularly consume diet beverages, and Diet Coke is the third most popular soft drink in the world, followed by regular Coke and regular Pepsi. 
So why aren't those of us switching to zero-calorie versions not dropping weight? Like many things in the nutritional science world, the answer is complex, nuanced, and most likely multifaceted. One theory is that consuming these artificial sweeteners may increase appetite by stimulating hunger hormones which cause the brain to signal the body that it needs to eat. Another theory is that people who make the switch from drinking regular soda to diet soda already have poor dietary habits, and there may be some justification on the drinker's end that since they're drinking a zero-calorie drink, maybe they're justified in having dessert or that between-meal snack. Another theory states that consuming these hyper-sweet, non-nutritive sweeteners may change the way we experience and taste food. This Overstimulation of our sugar receptors from frequent use of these hyperintense artificial sweeteners may limit our tolerance for less sweet foods, making the natural sweetness in something like fruit much less appealing and making the taste of foods like vegetables just downright unpalatable. In other words, we become addicted to these hypersweet tastes, which then cause us to select sweeter and sweeter tastes, which doesn't end well in terms of metabolic health. And a recent study also made a surprising discovery that females and obese people are more susceptible to increased weight gain from switching to diet sodas. They found that women and obese people had a reduction in the hunger-inhibiting hormone leptin, causing them to overeat after drinking sodas sweetened with sucralose compared to drinking regular sugar-sweetened soda. Now, interestingly, males with a healthy body weight did not show this decrease in leptin or the overeating after drinking diet sodas. Now, this was a relatively small study of only 74 people, but it serves to illustrate just how complex some of these issues are. I should also mention that if you dig deep enough, you can find studies that show that people who drink zero-calorie soda lose more weight than people who drink only water. I couldn't find an example of these studies that didn't have a number of red flags, not the least of which is that they tend to be sponsored by large soda companies. The takeaway here is that if you're interested in long-term sustainable weight loss, you'd be much better off focusing on swapping out ultra-processed foods and drinks, such as diet soda, with healthy whole food choices. And depending on where you are now, that may not mean completely eliminating your beloved diet soda, but slowly reducing your consumption over time. For example, if you typically drink four sodas a day, aim for drinking three a day every other day to start out. And remember that healthy eating is a journey, not a destination. I want to talk for a minute about the benefits of pushing yourself, and I want to start out by telling a story. Way back when, I did a lot of triathlons, and I wasn't particularly good at them. I was probably a mid-packer overall and usually ended up in the top 10 or 20% of my age group, and it was the biking that killed me. I didn't really enjoy it, and for some reason, I sucked at it, but I was a good swimmer, at least compared to other triathletes, and I was usually one of the first out of the water. 
And as a kid, I remember taking swim lessons at the YMCA, and I think I was on a Y swim team for one season, but I also spent a good amount of my younger years surfing, and that certainly gave me an advantage, especially in open ocean swims. Anyways, I was a decent natural swimmer, but somewhere along the line, I joined a local triathlon club, and they had a legitimate swim coach. She was an amazing swimmer herself, swam in the Olympics, and was just an all-around amazing coach. And she divided us into three teams for our twice-a-week early morning swim practices. We had the A, B, and C teams, with the A swimmers being the elite swimmers, the B swimmers being the decent swimmers, and the C swimmers were the ones who were probably really good at biking and running, and they were just trying to become okay swimmers. So when I first showed up, the coach put me in with the B swimmers, and it wasn't long before I was the B team leader. And what this meant was that I led all the other B swimmers in our lap drills. There were maybe half a dozen or so B swimmers in our pool, and as we swam the prescribed number of laps, it was my job to lead out and set the pace. And I have to admit, I felt pretty good about myself. I was the best swimmer in my little group, and I enjoyed my role of being out in front and creating a pace that would be challenging for the rest of the B swimmers. Until one day, Coach put someone else in the lead for the B group and moved me to the A group. This was it. I was moving up to the big leagues. There were only three or four swimmers in the elite A group, all women, and I was honored to be joining them. But a very interesting thing happened. I had spent so much time leading the B group that I'd grown a bit complacent. None of the B group swimmers seriously challenged me for the lead spot, and I just wasn't being pushed. And all that was getting ready to change. Drastically. These ladies could swim, like they were part fish or something. And my place in the lineup was dead last. And I remember in those early weeks, it was all I could do to keep up and not get lapped. And you probably see this coming, but guess where I grew the most as a swimmer? Yep, getting dragged through the pool by those incredible A-group women. I really wanted to keep up with them, and I had to work really hard not to slow that line down. Moving from the B group to the A group was a complete mindset shift. I went from being the leader and being the best in my B group to being last and being the worst in my A group. And I didn't like that at all. But in retrospect, it was the best thing that could have happened to my swimming. By being pushed and being pushed out of my comfort zone, I became a better swimmer and a better all-around athlete. So if you feel you're in comfortable complacency right now, ask yourself what you can do to move up to the A group, to get out of your comfort zone and really be pushed. Because it's here that the magic of growth happens, and not just in the athletic domain, but in all areas of life. So my encouragement for you is this, push yourself and grow. Okay, folks, that's our show for today. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 82. 
And don't forget to check out silveredgefitness.com slash holiday for all the details on my holiday accountability program. It's absolutely free and I'd love to see you join us for this great program. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. You can always leave a comment on this episode page or feel free to email me with any comments or questions from today's show. You can email me at coach at silveredgefitness.com. And you can always show your support by this and you can always show and you can always show your support for this show. And you can always support this show by telling a friend about this podcast or by leaving me a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. I want to thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I'll be back next week with my regular interview format. So until next time, stay strong.